Good Sunday morning. It is a windy, cold morning. So we're glad to see you here. Uh, I'd rather be here than just right down the road in that place called Farrah. Uh, so <laughs> one day we'll all be in that place unless the uh, upper taker comes before the undertaker does. So uh, we have any prayer requests you'd like to give us? Oh, well, I, I have enough for us all. I've got a brother-in-law who's got the COVID really bad. I have a young lady, she calls herself our adopted daughter. She's got COVID. I, uh, another granddaughter that lives in Florida has got COVID. My great-grandson has got COVID. And uh, one of my friends uh, said her daughter-in-law has got COVID and was supposed to have a C-section this uh, tomorrow. But they say not with the COVID. You know, so it's kind of bad on you know the, the baby there. So I'm sure uh, there are a lot more. And there comes our pastor when the saints come marching in. <laughs> We're just going over prayer requests for a few minutes. And uh, we got I had a bunch, bunch of folks, my families and kins and stuff got COVID. And so uh, we're just, uh, we're believing God. And yes. It's it's really hitting hard now. Yeah. Well, with the uh, the flu and the uh, corona and the uh, this new was well, not new. It's RSV, and we thought I thought that was just for kids, but I got to check in my research books and no adults get it too. So there's three different viruses going around. That, uh, but hey, God's more powerful than that virus. And so, uh, just like just like Satan, he already stomped on Satan's head. He can stomp on coronavirus too. So, uh, I believe it. Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, remembering each and every one of these that are in need. There's some out there that's not here this morning that might be watching us on the, our live. And Lord, we just uh, ask you to meet all the needs, Lord. And you know my special prayer request. Lord, don't let me be boring. Lord, let me lead like you would. Let me teach like you would. And Lord, I, I just ask you, Lord, uh, let me step off to the side and let your Holy Spirit guide us during this time, Lord, that we are in your Holy Word, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we ask it and everybody said, Amen. Yeah, I told my wife, I said, uh, you know, she's the one that told me last week, she says, now, honey, you're a Sunday school teacher, not the Sunday school preacher. So I said, well, if you'll take a look at the uh,
gifts of ministry. Uh, the, the pastor, teacher, or it's together there. I mean, some people say there's five different ones. I, I always say it's four. I believe a pastor is a teacher. And so I, I enjoy teaching, but sometimes I just go off on a tangent. I handed out a little pamphlet or a little sheet there to you, brother. Uh, let me get one. Well, there's one right here. Oh, you got it? Okay. Yeah, it's, we're teaching on the book of James. I just happened to love the book of James. It was I was debating between James and Revelation. Uh, I have taught Revelation for, I don't know, I guess 30 years. And I have probably taught it in that 30 years. I've probably taught it 10, 15 times across the state of Tennessee, across the state of uh, Florida. So I have used to have churches ask me to come in and teach it. So, uh, but James happens to be the most quoted book of the Bible, of the New Testament. They put it that way. It's the most quoted of the New Testament. It has got so much that we need to understand how to be a better Christian. We talked last week how to become a Christian. Now we're going to teach how to be a mature Christian. And put my footnote in here or put my foot in my mouth. I don't know which one it is. But it, uh, there's a problem in the churches today that we've got a lot of Christians, but we don't have enough mature Christians. Uh, they're still over there sucking on the bottle. You know, everything that goes wrong, going, well, you know, why? Well, get off the bottle and eat a little meat. I mean, there's plenty to you in especially in the book of James this is the most interesting passage of scripture it tells us something interesting facts about Jesus because this is written by James now there are four or five different James in the Bible and he doesn't say which one he is see but we know that there's only two that's possibility, and that's James, the son of Zebedee. But we know that he was killed long before this book was written. So we know that's not going to be a fact. So we do know from the various uh, things and the way he quotes uh, Jesus, we know that he had to be very close to Jesus. And plus, James was the bishop of Jerusalem church. He was the head honcho. And so we know that this was probably written by James, the brother of Jesus. And it's very interesting fact that it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that right there in itself tells me a lot about his attitude. He didn't come boast and say, James, well, I'm the brother of Jesus. And I am the head honcho over here in Jerusalem. He starts off and says, I'm James. And I am a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. That tells me that he didn't care who he was. He didn't care about his titles. He cared that he was a servant. He was 
a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, you know, last week we talked about the slave market. Well, the word servant actually can be also translated into the word slave. But he uses the word here that actually would mean bond servant. And a bond servant is one that served his master until the point his master says, you're doing such a great job, I'm going to give you freedom. And he looked at his master and says, but I don't want to be free. I want to live here. You're good to us. You love us. You're kind. You give me all that I need. I don't want to be free. So the, the uh, master takes the servant over to the door frame and takes a, of course they had wooden awls back then, and takes this little earlobe right here and lays it up against the door mantle and goes, drives a hole into the ear. It was the beginning of pierced ears. That's what I tell all the young ladies now. Well, who are you a bond servant to? But that's what it, so they would go into town or go anywhere and the people or the Roman people and everything would see him. Uh, he's a slave. But then they see the hole in his ear. Oh, he's a free slave. So it must mean that he's, he is somebody. So what I'm saying is James was so excited. He was saying, God, you've been so good to me. You've given me everything I need. You've given me my home. You've given me my life. You've given me my health. You've given me everything I need. Make me your bondservant. And he says, and, and Jesus Christ also. I want to be the bondservant of my brother. Now, how many of you have got a brother that you would think, uh, no, I don't think I want to be a bondservant to that guy. You know, but uh, just think about this. That Jesus was his brother, his oldest brother. And we know that there were four brothers that were born of uh, Mary and Joseph, and there was uh, several daughters. Can you imagine growing up in the house with Jesus as your older brother? Now, that might have been something. His brothers didn't believe him. His brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. <laughs> you can imagine when Mary would come in and there was stuff scattered all over the house. She would stand there, okay, who did this? You can hear James says, well, you know, it's not Jesus. He's perfect. <laughs> can you imagine growing up with a brother that you know is perfect? And my brother used to tell me he was, but I didn't believe him. But he grew up with Jesus. They went out camping. They went out fishing. They went out doing things together. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus like that? Oh, to spend the time with Jesus that I do. But now can you imagine James spending every minute of his childhood in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus ever realized that he was Savior, we don't really know. 
but we know by his 12th year that he was in the temple teaching the scribes and Mary was so frantic and came to him, well, where have you been? And she said, don't you know, i got to be about my father's business. So we know by 12 years old, he realized what he was doing. What happened between 12 and 30, we're not sure. We know what he was, you know, he growing up, and we know that Joseph died, and that Jesus, being the oldest, must have become the head of the family. So we don't know whether we... No, they say he's the son of the carpenter. But we don't know whether he actually took over the business of being a carpenter. And in some of the the schools that I've been in, uh, the word carpenter can also be a stone worker. Because if you've ever been in that part of the world, there's just not a whole bunch of trees. It's not a whole bunch of wood to be working with. So it could very well have been a stone worker or stonemason. So uh, don't go around telling people that I said Jesus was a mason. No. <laughs> Jesus was a stonemason, not a stoned mason, but he was a stonemason. And so we now get a little glimpse into the light. James was apparently well known among believers throughout the world so he didn't really need to point out who he was he simply calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ despite his position and worldwide reputation what matters to him most is the intimacy that he had with Jesus Christ he had an intimacy that none of us I mean he was the brother he was the earthly brother, half-brother. You don't need to get that in there. But he was a half-brother. But just to have grown up. So we understand that he was someone who wanted to serve God. So slaves belonged to their master. They had no will of their own. They are owned by their master. They're totally possessed by their master. This is what James meant. James was purchased and bought and possessed by Jesus Christ. Just like us. Just like us. We have been bought with a price. And we are his. So James says, I've been bought. The slave existed for its master and no other reason for existence. He didn't have any reason. He had nobody. He was just there. And we don't have any reason for existence other than to serve God. I mean, if God actually says, well, if you're not going to serve me, I'm just going to... There would be lined up for funerals in this church. And luckily, we have a merciful God. So the same is true for James. He existed only for, the, for Christ. His rights were the rights of Christ only. And that's what we need to be. We need to have in our hearts, I don't have any needs. I don't have any rights, Lord. Yeah, I have the right to be wealthy. No, you don't. 
I have the right to do this. And I don't actually you don't have any rights except that exist in Jesus Christ. If you are a true sold out Christian, like James says he was, you don't have any rights except what Jesus Christ gives you. Slaves belong to their master. They didn't have any will at all. So their, their will actually belonged to the master. And so James is saying, I belong to Christ. In fact, in fact, he fought and struggled to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10. And the fifth and most precious thing that James meant by being a slave of Jesus Christ, he meant that he had the highest and most honored and kingly profession in the world. To be a servant of God is the highest calling in the world. There is none other. We see all this stuff going over in the, the uh, royal family over in England. They just strip King uh, Prince Andrew of all his princehood and all of his stuff because of the things he did. Uh, they, some of the others have decided they didn't want to. But man, we serve somebody bigger than the Queen of England. We, seen, we, we serve the God of the universe. We are His. And we ought to just say, wow, I am a servant. I am a servant of the Most High God. And we have a calling to serve Him. What is your calling? That's what we're going to be discussing later on. You see, Moses, over in Deuteronomy, says he was a slave of God. Joshua was a slave of God. Paul was a slave of Jesus Christ. James is a slave of God. Jude, was a, this happens to be a brother of James. Jude was a slave of God. All the prophets were slaves of God. And Christians... We are to be slaves of God. We are to serve Him. We are to keep our hearts towards Him. We are to realize that He is everything to us. This is striking and touching for James had lived with his brother for years, day in, day out, hour by hour, month by month, minute by minute. He watched Jesus in His perfection. And he watched Jesus grow up. Jesus has seen how his brother responded to adult instruction, teaching, and supervision. He had probably seen, as I said, his uh, Jesus taking over the head of the household when Joseph died. So he uh, had watched Jesus become basically his controlling factor. The most remarkable and striking fact and glorious evidence that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. He was, he was somebody that everyone said, who is this Jesus? James was able to say, he's my brother. James said, he's my brother. So he found no fault 
in his brother. He found no fault in who he was. So James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now I brought enough notes to teach through the twelfth verse, but just like I used to when I was pastoring the other churches, I probably won't get anywhere near there. But here we are at the end of the first verse. And he is writing this book. Who is he writing it to? He's writing it to the 12 tribes. To the 12 tribes which is scattered abroad. This is an interesting translation in that this term 12 tribes means every Jew. He wasn't writing just to Ephraim or to, you know, his other families. He was writing to the 12 tribes, and the term 12 tribes means all you Jews. I'm writing to you that were scattered abroad. What happened was after Stephen was stoned to death, that the Jewish people began to scatter. Now we know that the days after Pentecost, that all those that heard the message and about 5,000 in the first day or two was saved. Brother Troy, what would we do with the revival? We got 5,000 saved in the first day. <laughs> I'd settle for five right now. <laughs> yeah, oh my, my. Yeah. But he, all these Jewish people that were in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit fell and heard the message that Peter got up and proclaimed, they went off. They dispersed. But this word here means diaspora, which means those that were dispersed, that were scattered. It's kind of like when you, have you ever had a little grass fire or something, you stomp on it? What it does, those embers start going here and there. I was a volunteer fireman in Florida. We knew not to stomp on grass fires because all you did was just scatter it. So they dispersed. They went all over the area. All over. So he was writing a letter to everybody that proclaimed to be a Jew. But more than that, he was writing to the Christian Jews. How can you write a letter back in that time? I don't think they had internet back then. I don't think he wrote an email. And uh, I can be wrong, but I don't think our Postal people were working back then. <laughs> but uh, so how in the world did he think he was going to get this letter out? Well, he must have known a few people. Or, this is the way I lean. The Holy Spirit said, you write it. I'll disperse it. You write it, and I'll disperse it. So we do know by this term, he's writing to everybody 
about Jesus Christ. Are you and everybody? Are you and everybody? We're all here. We're everybody. So he was writing this book to us. A lot of people says, oh, I don't like the book of James. It's just a bunch of, ooh, it's written to you. It's written to help you learn. And he says, my brothers, that's the reason we know that he was writing to the converted Jews. My brothers, oh, my, 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 my. Here we're getting into some troubles here. Here we're getting into some things that we may not want to know about. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, honestly, how many of you fall into all types of troubles, all types of temptations, and the first thing you do is say, Praise God, I'm in trouble! Yeah, honestly, we don't, do we? I mean, I don't. And I don't think anybody here can say, oh, yeah, I get out there and I hit that deer in the middle of the highway and I got up and say, isn't this joyful, Jesus? No. <laughs> we got out there and looked at Bambi and said, you silly deer. So... We wake up, we got hurts and everything about us, crackles and crunches. And We wake up. I used to preach a message, we have to know how big a Christian are. When we wake up and everything hurts, and we just say, Oh, Lord, it's morning. Or do we say, Oh, morning, Lord. Depends on which way we're doing it? Are we joyful? I'm joyful that I woke up. I'm joyful that I've got another chance to serve Him. I had a young lady that was one of my good friends sent me a message, and I should have put this on the prayer request that guy. She said, "Would you please pray for me and my family?" And I said, yeah, sure we will. He says, God knows. Yeah, but I'd like to know too. You know, I like to be specific when I pray to God. So a few minutes later, she comes back. She says, my husband just killed himself right in front of me. Shot himself in the head. She says, I'm living a nightmare. I can't get that vision out of my head. And she says, I'm, I'm hurting so bad. So her son took her to the emergency room. Come to find out she'd already suffered one heart attack and was in the midst of forming another one. I knew what I should have said. But I just didn't feel right as saying, you know, count it all joy. It just didn't sit right with me. I will, sooner or later, I will minister her that we don't know why. I do. I mean, I particularly knew the guy. But count it all joy when 
diverse temptations. Now, this doesn't mean the temptation to sin. Don't count it joyful when you get a temptation to sin. But count it joyful when God allows you to be faced with problems. Look at Brother Job. Brother Job was eat up with boils. Y'all ever had boils? You haven't. Oh, I have. They are no fun. I only had one. And it's no fun. But they said Job was just eat up with them. I mean, I don't see how he was standing, sitting, crawling, what? It is very painful. Yeah, it is. But Job, his wife came to him and said, why don't you curse God and die? He said, why? Why? How do you Christians get these things? Why are you diverse temptations? Why, why are you having sicknesses? Why are you... Well, if you came over to our church, you could be a part of our kingdom and you wouldn't have any more problems. These big mega church people are trying to preach that you get saved, you'll have no other problems. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Jesus said you're going to have all types of problems. And so what I look at and I try to look at it, and a lot of times I'm going to be honest with you, I'm one of those preachers that get up here and tell you, oh, I'm sorry, teachers, that will get up here and tell you that I might be perfect, but I ain't. I fail, I fail God at least once a day, probably once, twice an hour, but I don't know. I'm far from being perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian. There is such a thing as a saved by grace Christian. And you're going to have problems. You're going to think things. You're going to do things. You're going to say things that just didn't please God. But He's going to forgive you. Because He saw us and said in our worst times, He says, I want you. So what he's saying here, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations. You see, Job was living a magnificent life. And then the devil came along and said, have you thought about this guy, Job? Said, yeah, yeah, he's a pretty good old guy. He says, uh, but you, you let me have a little while. Let's just see what happens. So God told Satan, have at it. Now, you can't kill him, but just have at it. Now, a little footnote here. People say, well, where, where is Satan during this time? 
me tell you where he's at. He's up there. He's your accuser. He's got all his little imps and stuff running around down here called his new problems and he's on the radio. Go over there, those people at that church and give them a problem. So, but he's standing before God and he's saying, that guy out there, he's just creating all kinds of problems. And God's looking and saying, huh? Jesus sitting on his right hand and said, oh, daddy, oh, did and he stands up and looks at Satan. He says, all I see is my reflection. I don't see any problems. So count it all joy when you go into diverse temptations or troubles or problems. Why? Because God loves you enough and trusts you enough that He believes you're going to be able to make it. But you're going to be able to go through it. I know that's kind of hard to remember when you're going through it. But if we could just get it in here, get it in here, that we have a problem. I had to leave my poor wife this morning. I didn't want her to come anyway because she's not feeling well, but I accidentally was running dishwater this morning and then I got some messages on my uh, phone and I had to take care of those and I happened to look over there in the water it just go out of the sink. It was all over the counters. It was down in the floors and everything. And I was just about ready to leave and I said, I can't leave you with this, you know. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. you got a much bigger calling than that. I just didn't think about saying, isn't this joyful? I just couldn't do it. I didn't even think of it. You know, that's my problem. But I got to count myself joyful. Because God must have realized that I'd be able to work my way through it. And I'm thankful, God, that you trust me that much. I'm thankful, God, that you trust me enough that these people can message me and tell me that their husband had just killed themselves. Would you lift us up in prayer? I want you to understand when somebody comes to you and says, you pray for us? Oh, sure. Do you? Really? Oh, we'll pray for you. Actually, I, I woke up about every hour during the night last night. I remembered that young lady I prayed for. It's a, it's a privilege that someone says, would you come and pray for me? They poured their most intimate thoughts out to you. You've heard this about, you know, the lawyer-client confidentiality. Same thing is with preachers. We have a confidentiality. We can't. That's the reason I'm not telling you the name of the person. But what a honor. What an honor it is that people just pick up the phone and text me or message me and say, would you please remember me in prayer? Also, it helps me see that what I'm going through is not so bad after all. A lot of people having terrible things going on. But we've got to remember to count it all joy when God allows us to be in temptations.
Verse number 3. Knowing this, what? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. <laughs> Do what? No, <laughs> don't. I don't. I am the most impatient person. I just, I'll just pace back and forth, you know. But he says, knowing this, what is this? That the trying of your faith works patience. And verse 4 carries right on into that thought. But let patience have her perfect work. It works patience. Now I'm going to give you a little warning. At least it's worked out this way for me. Don't pray for patience. Because what causes patience? Diverse temptations. James just told you. Going through all these temptation problems causes you to have patience. So, you pray for patience, hold on, because God's going to send you some problems. I read a story of a man that kept saying, God, I need patience. Would you send me patience, God? And he had a flat tire on the way to work. He got out, looked at that tire, and kicked it. Why in the world do you kick a flat tire? It's not going to bring it back to life. And he called the, the towing company, and they said, well, we'll get to you as soon as we can, but it'll probably be about an hour. And he walked back and forth and around that car and sat in this car, and he was so, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it into work on time and all this. And then about the time that he saw the tow truck come up, it hit him. I ask you, Lord, for patience, and I haven't shown a bit of it. He learned. He learned. So if you want patience, you better hang on to your hat, brother. And let the patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. That word perfect does not mean what we think. Perfect means today. It means mature. It means mature. You, by working through these problems, it's going to make you mature. Warren Wearsby uh, wrote a very good book on the book of James. It's called Be Mature. And uh, if you happen to have it or happen to get it, it's a great book. So, fact is, that we, we will have many trials and temptations. And as usual, while I'm teaching, I have just forgotten my note. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm at this thing this morning. I said, God, you used to, when I teach all this stuff you used to give me instant recall. So I'm going to need that. People used to say, you know, you seem to have a photographic mind. Well, I still do. I just out of, out of film. So uh, I, 
I don't have the photographic. But I'm asking God just to teach me, help me to be your minister. So the Greek word there for temptations and trials throughout James is, yeah, periosmos. I forgot all the Greek I had in, in uh, theology school. Matter of fact, I, I know a little Greek right now. Yeah, it's the greatest little sandwich shop right down the road there. Uh, but, uh, okay, that was a joke. No, <laughs> I know, I know, just, I just remember just a little bit of the Greek. But that word means to try, to test, to prove. So what the word is, we need to stand up against trials and temptations. We need to become a dynamic witness for those who see us. You get out there and you're having a problem and your co-workers or your neighbors or whoever you're around see that you're having these problems and you're over there just... They're watching. They're watching you. What kind of witness are you being to Jesus Christ at that time? Listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you that my lessons were going to be easy. But you can't be mature until you find out what it means. So your neighbors watch you go through this problem. I had two trees. I mean, when I'm talking about trees, I'm talking about trees. Come down in my yard. Two big old trees. Luckily, they weren't anywhere near the house. But, you know, what am I going to do now? And all this, you know, and finally, my, my neighbor says, what, what can we do? I said, I don't know. I think I'll just let nature take its course. It's going to put out an advertisement and say, hey, we're having a big picnic over here for termites. Now, if you want to come over and feast, you go right ahead. And so, uh, that way you stay away from my house. You go back there in the woods where the trees are. So, you know, how do you look at a problem? I'm not saying that you're going to have rose-colored glasses. But I'm saying you need to look at it and say, Lord, is this something you're putting me through? Because if you are a child of God, it is. God's not going to let any, anything happen to you that he doesn't okay. You have to realize that. You have to realize that anything that happens to you, it's because of God. It's because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's just saying, okay, Dan, I need to make you a little more mature. And I say, but God, I'm 74 years old right now. How much more mature do you want? He says, age and maturity are two different things. You can be an 80-year-old, immature Christian, or you can be a 21-year-old, mature worker for God. You see, when I left the active ministry some 20 years ago, I just put it behind me. I said, oh, no, Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'd have my, my life threatened. There are a number of times that I, 
I'd have a phone call in the middle of the night that says, if you don't pack up and leave, we're going to kill you and your family. A lot of people have never gone through that. I've had them come cut my electricity off. That's because they said I was had three rooms of lights going. They come and cut my electricity off. I had to have the sheriff come out once to a business meeting because it was getting so out of hand I couldn't couldn't handle it and the board had to surround me, take me into my office and lock the doors. And then I had to have the sheriff out for a funeral because we had one side of the family had six ball bears and the other side had six ball bears. They were fighting. So I told them, you choose three, you choose three, and they weren't going to do it. Well, it happened to be they had sheriff out there to lead the escort. So he said, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. So after that and after a while of doing all that, I just grew weary. Got tired of it. But God, this year, says, I need you back. I want you back. That the calling of God is without repentance. You don't turn around. You've taken all these years off, and yeah, you wander places you didn't need to wander. But you're still my child. I want you back. Here I am. Talked to a couple of ordained pastors and ministers. They said, I am so thrilled to be teaching what I call the pastor's class. I said, Teaching a Sunday school class and you're an ordained minister? Yeah. I figure that people come out at 10 o'clock in the morning are people that really want to hear the Word of God. And I want to tell each and every one of you here, I deeply appreciate you being here. Because it means that you are hungry for the Word of God. And I'm hoping that I am feeding you. I'm hoping that I'm spoon feeding you so that you don't get too much. Morning. So, I think I'm not going to make it through verse 12. Because I've made it through verse number four. But let patience have her perfect work you that you may be mature and entire, wanting nothing. What that wanting nothing means, you may say, oh, but Lord, I need uh, $10,000. God says, I'm your everything. I've got you covered. Says he owns all the cattle and all the hills. And let me tell you what. If a true church, if a true church of the living God has need of something, God's going to look over to one of his angels and say, hey, go out there and sell a few of them cows. Let's make sure this church has its needs met. 
breaks my heart to see a church say it had closed its doors because it had too many needs. I say they're not trusting in the provider because it says here if we live according to joy of our troubles and our problems that we will be mature and complete. Are there any questions about the first four verses of the book of James? I always entertain questions. But, all right, that must mean that either I fed you completely or you've dozed off and you're not hearing me. <laughs> but I do appreciate, Brother Troy, I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me. It's, uh, I count it all joy. My wife's going to be listening to this. She says, that's not what you said the other day. I, I was so worried. Let me tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. You can cut me off anytime you want to up there, brother. 